0: Welcome to another Macquarie Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message.
1: Sometimes we just want to let that moment carry on, don't we? Move out of the way and let the Holy Spirit do His thing. It's good to be with you again this morning. And uh, this morning, Roz and I are going to tag team. So... uh, We'll have to shift gears quickly. And uh, this morning, I want to talk to you about God's love for us, God's heart towards humanity, God's Father's heart towards us. And Roz is going to later on speak about us loving God, our side of the relationship. But this morning, I want to talk to you about His side of the relationship. Because for us to fully embrace God... For us to be able to love him and enter into a relationship with him, we need to understand how he feels. Because it's hard to like someone in life, let alone love someone, if you don't really trust them, if you don't know their intentions, if you don't understand them. It's hard to love someone if you don't know what they are about towards you. And so, as free moral agents, we choose to go into a relationship with someone when we feel safe and secure, when we feel valued, when we feel understood and accepted and treasured. And so, the Bible says there's another level of love. The highest form of love is to love the unlovable, sacrificially. The first step is to love when we feel comfort, but the next level is to love sacrificially when there's nothing in return, to be blind to the world's prejudices and sacrificially love on His creation. And so love in its purest form in relationships, everyday relationships with us should cost us something, and I think we're all aware that it does. It's painful. It takes away from us for us to give. And so that sacrificial love happens when we get to a place ourselves of humility. When we realize how messed up we are ourselves. How short, all of our shortcomings, how undeserved we are. But that feeling doesn't actually bring with it. Uh, a sense of guilt and condemnation or shame. The good thing in a relationship with God is that feeling when you know how undeserving you are. For me, it breeds thankfulness. Where we're just like, wow, I know I don't deserve it, but gee, I'll take it. And I thank you, God, for your love. And that's where His love comes in. You know, if I look back at my walk with God, in the past, I sometimes like, wow, the sense of entitlement I had, the, this thing about self-righteousness. And the, I've heard other people say, the longer you walk with God, the more you realize your own shortcomings. We start seeing the speck in our eye rather than the beam in someone else's eye. We're just like, wow, this speck is, God puts it under the magnifying glass, doesn't he? But the good thing is, despite our filthy rags, God's sacrificial love kicks in then. Because He loves us. He really does. He's so into you. And I think some, some people here this morning need to hear that. The Bible says even the very hair on your body is counted. He knows. He knows when you get a bit bolder. He knows. He keeps count of those hair that fall away in the shower. He knows. He knows you. That same word that um, the Bible uses for Adam and Eve, knew each other in the garden to have children, is the same word used in Jeremiah when God says, I knew you when you were formed in the womb. Spiritual Intercourse, intimacy. That's how God knows you. And He still loves you. And He's still besotted with you. And He's still for you. And He wants us to reciprocate that. Um, My cousin, many years ago, when he met the woman of his life, his wife to be, they were in a restaurant in Johannesburg, sitting, loving each other, just sitting across from each other, hearing each other talk and just hanging on the very words. And in the restaurant, they saw a bit of commotion. They were in the corner and they saw commotion there and the kitchen staff and franticness and whatever. And they couldn't care less. They were just focused on each other. And about half an hour later, they thought, when they saw police coming in, they, they that maybe they need to inquire what's going on in you. And to their surprise, The restaurant had just been held up. There was an armed robbery that just took place. And they wondered why the kitchen staff, the chefs, were on the floor lying. They were wondering why people were frantic, giving handbags over. And nothing happened to them because they were tuning to each other. And that's how God wants us to be with Him. Whatever happens in our world, whatever's out there, that focus, that intimacy, that besottedness, that intenseness is what God wants from us. And He loves us with that. Because the, the world tries and make us think He's the bad guy. You know, in insurance, they, in, in the clauses, there's the thing, the act of God. Fire, storms, floodings—all these things. If there's an excuse not to pay, then it's God's fault. If you want to watch a good movie, uh, Billy Connolly, the man who sued God. Just—he makes a mockery of how funny it is that uh, you know the get-out-of-jail card. But that's what Satan does. You know, if if you know the word uh, wicker furniture. It's the same word uh, that we use for wicked, twisted, just a little bit twisted. Because what the enemy wants is just to twist our image of God. Bit of truth in there, bit of yin and yang, you know, new age, yin and yang, bit of light, bit of darkness, to get the wrong impression of God so that we can't trust Him and go into that, that relationship with Him. But it says in the Word God is light, and in Him there is no darkness. There is not one speck of bad or darkness in Him. He loves us. And so God, love is not a power or force in as much that it can be used or abused, too little or too much of. How amazing is God? He knew that if it's just something that we can use, it can be abused, and so He is love himself. A person is love. That's what it says in 1 John 4 verse 8. God is love. It needs self. And that's why love is not an emotion or a feeling. But what the Bible teaches us, love is two things. Love is in a person, God himself. And love is a choice. And yet in our mess, God chooses sacrificially to love us, even though there's no guarantee of it being reciprocated. How awesome is that? He can love us openly, transparently, even though we might not choose the same. And so one of the biggest reasons we find faith in our relationship with God hard or complicated is because we don't trust His love towards us. It's hard. When things go wrong... When things go bad, when we're hurting, when we're misunderstood, when we're lonely, when we're depressed, when we're sick, it doesn't look like God loves us, but stay the course because He does. And so nothing can change how much He loves us. Nothing we can do can get Him to love us less. But how we respond in earth does determine how pleased he is with us. Like a parent to a child, unconditionally, we will die for them. We'll take a bullet for them. But we still get irked. We still get impacted by how the kids behave. And they still determine how pleased we are with them. So we've got a window of opportunity in our lives. Until the day we die or if Jesus comes back beforehand, to exercise this right to be in a relationship with him. He will never, ever reject us. Never, ever reject us until the day he comes back or until the day you die. But when that happens, it's final. That's the point. He gives us open slather. Here I am. Use me. I will never reject you as long as you're alive. So let's use the spirit of grace well. Don't worry about people in Africa or the Amazon. What if they, you know, those people that haven't heard it, what the responsibility we've got is what are we doing with the gospel we're hearing every day. And as a Christian, you might sit in here, yeah, I've made that choice. We make the choice every single day in incremental steps to choose the love of God, to choose that relationship with him or to go further away from him. Small incremental steps, even as Christians. So that's why people don't go to hell because they sin. People perish because they reject Jesus Christ, the love of God that he poured himself. He bankrupted himself so that we can go into eternity with him. So I'll finish with Romans 8. Verse 37, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors and gain an overwhelming victory through him who loved us so much that he died for us. For I'm convinced and continue to be convinced beyond any doubt that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present and threatening nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the unlimited love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. There is no external force. There is no spirit or being or person that can separate you from God's love and get God to stop loving you. Think on that for a moment. Wow. Yet, there is one thing that can stop God's love. And that's me and you and our will. That's the only thing that's stronger than God's love is our will. And God will not force himself upon us. The sacrificial love is to give even though it might not be reciprocated. So I'm asking you today, choose every day, every moment, that relationship with God, because He's there. He will never, ever, ever stop loving us or reject us here on earth. Thank you, Ross.
0: Thanks, Jacques. I love you and Kat. And while you are speaking, I've got a little scripture for you. Do not lose your confidence, because it has great reward. So keep your spiritual confidence, Jacques, because it has great reward. All right, what is your favourite love song? Matt Old, what is your favourite love song? Please forgive me. Please forgive me. I don't even know that song. (laughs) Brian Adams. What about you, Ian Wood? Come on, you've got to have one. You've been married for 300 years. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, Mark and I have a song. I don't know whether we've all got a song, but Mark and I have got a song. We've had it for 40 years, and it goes like this. It's a little bit funny, this feeling inside. (laughs) It's not one of those. I can easily hide. Elton John. Another question I want to ask you is this. What matters most? We all need to be able to answer that question. You need to be able to answer that question. The answer to that question is going to determine so much about your life. It's going to determine what you invest in with your resource. Congratulations, Beth and Tom. I should have asked you. (laughs) Just married. Um, It'll determine... Who or what owns you, who or what you try to please, your priorities, your choices, ultimately what matters most to you will define your future and shape your identity. There's so many good things, so many great things vying to be number one in your life. Many years ago there was a movie called City Slickers, there were three guys having midlife crisis. And uh, so they went away to muster cattle. And one of the guys, Billy Crystal, gets swept away in a flood. He nearly drowns. He gets back in the saddle and he says to, the, says to the guys this. He holds up one finger. And the guys go, what's that? And he goes, it's one thing. I found my one thing. It's family. And, of course, the other guys go into total chaos because they can't think of their one thing. But I think all of us have to have one thing. And in Philippians 3, Apostle Paul tells us what matters most to him. He says this, I consider everything a loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That was his one thing. Someone came to Jesus and they said, what's the greatest commandment? What's the one thing? And Jesus says this in Matthew 22. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first. And the greatest commandment. Earlier in Matthew, he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. So Jesus says that is the number one love the Lord. Not do things, not behave. The number one is love the Lord. (laughs) In our church's vision statement, Uh, I hope it comes up there. Uh, To love God is our first step of going towards Christ. In our church, we recognise the first thing is our up relationship. That's the first thing, our relationship with God. The next three, belong, grow and serve, are all about within. And the last one, go, is about out. So there's our up relationship, there's our within relationship and there's our going out relationship. But I want to look at briefly two examples of people who loved God in the Bible. Unpack it and see what it looked like for them. The first one is David. He gives an example. We have an example of loving God with our soul, with our mind and with our will. So this is for all the doers and the thinkers out there. In 1 Samuel, Saul is chasing down David. Saul is the current king, but David is the up and coming king. And he's very popular. So Saul is jealous and he's going after him. David's on the chase and he's hiding in a cave. And at that moment, Saul goes in to relieve himself. And it's not a quick relief, okay, because he has to sit down. We know that. So it says this, Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. And then David's men say, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with him as you wish.'" So the men are saying, hey, David, this, this whispering in the back of the cave. This is your moment. Go up. Take him out. He's got his back to you. He's vulnerable. So David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. But then the Bible says he crept back to his men and he was conscious stricken. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I would touch or lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. The Lord, I shouldn't have even cut off the corner of his robe. So this is what I call a cave moment. And you and I all have cave moments when we decide, will we be a value-driven human? Will we live according to the value inside us that is to love God? And that's what David did. David was a value-driven leader. He wasn't driven by the crowd. He wasn't driven by the men's voices. He wasn't driven by his family of origin. He wasn't driven by his revenge or or his pride or the current culture. He had a love for God. The Bible says he was a man after the heart of God. He tried to please God. And even when he failed, he still sought God. So he was driven by, the, I, don't, I can't imagine the, his conversation as he was creeping through the cave, the internal dialogue. It's like, I don't know whether, well, he did have a knife. But perhaps he's thinking, this is my moment. This, I can get back on him. I can become king. If I take him out, this is going to be a shortcut. I'm going to become king. But, you know, as he got there, what happened? And this is what happens in the cave moments. The value inside of him that he was loved by God and that God loved him shut up all the other voices. And when he got there, he just cut off the robe. And, you know, my challenge is to you, are you value-driven? And the number one value I hope in my life is that I love God. And, you know, many years ago when I was first out teaching I went to the tax man, I went to the accountant, and he said this to me, what are you going to claim on your art apron? It can be dry cleaned. And I said, I'll tell you, Mr. Accountant, first two things, I don't teach art, I'm no good at art, so my kids don't get art, they get sport and singing. And let me tell you, before you mock me, I taught Natalie Imbruglia, and all she needed was sport and music, she didn't need art so that's my proof. And so I said to him, I don't wear one of those art aprons, I'm not going to claim He said, you're entitled to. I said, yeah, but I actually don't spend the money. And you know what, this is my thought at that moment, that was a cave moment. Out of my mouth came, because I love God, I'm going to tell the truth. And I had this thought, you know, you know how we say we can get the money from the government, but I'm You know, when you cheat the government, you're not actually cheating the government because who actually pays the taxes? I realise when you rip off the government, we're ripping off one another. Just a side thought. Um, So let me challenge you in those cave moments. Are you value-driven? The second illustration is this. It comes from Luke 7. It's a heart one for all the feelers. We read that Jesus visits one of the Pharisees' homes for dinner and he's reclining at the table. And a woman who is known in the town as a sinner, arrives and she brings an alabaster jar of perfume. This is what it says. So you've got to picture it. She stood behind him at his feet, weeping. So it's already messy. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissing them and pouring perfume on them. Jesus doesn't stop her. It's completely messy. But worship and love for God is often messy. And it's costly. The pers- perfume was one year's wages. It was could have been a deposit for a house. Perhaps not these days, but back then it could have been. So it was a costly sacrifice. You're right, shark, because love costs. And when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, they were offended. People get offended at passionate worship and love for God. And Jesus answers him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Which of them will love me more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. Well done, Simon. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, you know, so she's doing this in front of all these religious, they're having this theological argument and she's worshipping him in the middle of it. Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears. She wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my feet. You did not. You did not. You did not. But she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. As her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And you know, my hope for you is that when you come into this house on a Sunday and when you have your own time with God, that you won't be Simon, that you won't be indifferent or too familiar. That's the problem with Simon. He was too familiar, he was too set, he was too middle of the road. He was religious. He was like, "No, this is how much I'm going to have a relationship with you, God. It's set here, and it's not going to go any further." He was self-righteous, exactly what Jacques said, and this is what the scripture's saying: self-righteous can't love a lot. He was contained. He probably thought, "You know, I come from a good family." I'm a good person. I've done the right thing. Hey, Jesus, I'm the one that had you over. You're just privileged to have me in the same room. (laughs) The interesting thing for me is this, that Jesus was with both of them. This morning is with all of us. He was with the woman and he was with Simon. He would have given everything both of them it was there it was up to them how much they got of him it's up to you how much you get of God a couple of weeks ago I had a surrender talk to God I could sense him wanting more and having a moment with of laying down stuff when you walk with God you get to know his core and his draw. So I had a surrender talk. I said, God, I don't want to surrender anything else. No, I've surrendered a lot. I've surrendered career. I've surrendered where I live. I've surrendered had to surrender friendships. I've had to surrender finance. I was a bit surrender-weary. told him all that. I said, what do you want? And he said three words. He goes, I want you. And as God's style happens in my life, I unraveled. It became a mess. We're going to sing this beautiful song. We're going to finish with the song I've asked them to lead. Because I want you to have a moment stand. a beautiful, honest question to say, God, what haven't I given you? Let me tell you what I found with God. You don't have to give it. When he said, I want you, he didn't force that. He left it with me. He he asks if we ask him, and then he lets us decide. Thank you, Maddie. I'll be back after this song. Let's stand.